0: Hi, I'm Gemma Caneco, and this is another episode of Cannonballs. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Ben Cosman. Hi, Gemma. <laughs> Hello. That was really nice. That was really. That was really nice. Uh, and we're back with Bleak House and other Ben. Ben Gullard.
1: Gemma. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, other Ben. Hello. <laughs>
0: I like this, all of the bends. Uh, so like I said, we're picking up Bleak House again in our last episode, we read chapters one through sixteen, so you can catch up on that in the previous episode. This episode we are we are discussing chapters seventeen through thirty two But before we move on, I just want you guys to try to summarize what we what has happened so far in this book before seventeen and thirty two in like one sentence. I will go first so you can think. This is me vamping for you. Mm -hmm. Um, We meet a bunch of temporarily embarrassed rich kids who want to get their money and one kind of homely
2: punching bag. Is that punching bag Esther? Yes,
0: Yes, it's Esther.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, we meet the prototypical Dickens orphan Mm -hmm. who befriends uh, some rich people sans money. And uh, also, just a bunch of dumb rich people. (laughs) Great. And we
1: have the mystery of a civil suit that we don't even know quite what it's about yet, but someone's probably going to come into a lot of money, but we don't know who.
0: This is all great. I think this is actually a lot more fun to read than we all just made it. Right, yeah. There's also a bunch of like. No one should let. We should not break. Crazy
2: children? Uh Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, There are also a bunch of hilarious side characters that really make the whole reading worth it. Um, So let's just dive right back in. Here we go. 17 through 32, Bleak House. I think the best way to do this is to try to catch up on the character arcs Mm -hmm. and where they all are, since we definitely learned a lot more. At the end of our last episode, we said that Lady Deadlock is going to be more popular. Um, or not popular, more uh, important. Prevalent, prevalent. yeah. Mm-hmm. So she definitely is. Yes. She definitely became much more integral to the story. So she's important now. Why is she important? Ben, other Ben. What? Why is Lady Dedlock important now?
1: Uh, that she has kind of taken on the case of the civil suit on to, like, figure out exactly what's going on. We learned that she recognizes the handwriting of uh, the person who is copying the legal documents, and that that has caused great distress to her. Um, and we also follow her as she pretends to be her maid. Oh so yeah,
0: that was a, yeah that was in the yeah last yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, we yes.
2: finished yeah we finished last time with Lady Dedlock sort of sneaking around pretending to be her own maid. Okay, that's when we meet Joe because mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, she yeah she wants to. Identify the dead law writer, I think. Yes. Is, yeah. is, he, is he the law yeah, writer? Yeah, he's a law writer. Um, who And he's sort of no name. He goes by Nemo. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, but then we pick up, and the I think the first chapter we read today is called Lady Deadlock because finally Esther and Richard and Ada and Mr. Jarndyce meet Lady Deadlock because they're staying with Boythorn. Yes. The man I guess uh, <laughs> who lives next door to the Lusters and has like a yes. Rand Paul esque. Uh, domestic feud with Ah,
0: oh, my favorite thing <laughs> is when he and Skimpole get into a fight about principles cuz Skimpole has none, um about what how you should make yourself agreeable to whoever you're depending on that week. Um, but yeah, so they meet Lady Deadlock and when Esther meets Lady Deadlock, she's like, oh, "I have this strange thrill of recognition in my heart and my body, and I don't know why that could be." But apparently they're like identical twins yes. because <laughs> even though, okay. So a little thing to say is that at the end of last week's episode, after we turned off the mic, uh, Ben predicted that Lady Deadlock was Esther's mother. And it seems like that's kind of where this is going. Thank, mm-hmm. thank
2: you for recognizing. Yes. <laughs> for the so,
0: so Esther and Lady Deadlock look at each other and they feel some kind of weird kinship. And then later on, Mr. Guppy, Esther stalker,
2: mm-hmm. Set, and like, Lady Deadlock Stalker. Yes, apparently.
0: and he's just a stalker, period. <laughs> um, he had visited the Deadlock's home earlier as a tourist, because that's a thing that happens. It happens in Pride and Prejudice. Like, you can just go to a rich person's house and like look around as though I it's a tourist attraction. I was about that.
1: Okay, yeah. that's what it happens? That's like a thing. You okay. go
0: as a tourist and you see these old family homes. Um, And he saw a portrait of Lady Deadlock and is like, wow, she looks so much like this woman I'm stalking. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I guess Esther is not, in fact, homely, but is beautiful because Lady Deadlock is famously beautiful. And they must look so much alike that, that it enables him to put together the pieces that she must be Esther's mom.
2: Yeah. And yeah. he eventually brings that to Lady Deadlock. Yes. Where he has this whole spiel. But I want to go back to when they're visiting, when Ada... Richard and Esther are visiting uh, Boythorn, and they're, they they have, like, a, this weird rained-out adventure where they meet Lady Dedlock, or they come upon her in, like, this shack in the woods,
0: I think. It's, it's not like a shack. It's, well, it's like, like a, a housekeeper's shed. There's a fireplace they
2: eat. Uh, regardless. They <laughs> a meet porch. Her. But I, I love that section because you're right. Like, Esther has this great moment of recognition with Lady Dedlock, and Lady Didlock has the same. But then every other side character also sort of says something. Like, I think Ada at one point... Mistakes, uh, something Lady Dedlock says for Esther, and it's like nobody puts anything together except like, for Mister Guppy. the us right, Except for Mister <laughs> Guppy, who uh, allegedly has been creeping on Lady Dedlock in the park, and Lady Dedlock notices, but she oh, doesn't. Oh yeah, say he says that.
0: He's like, "Oh, you look so much alike," and I know this because I look in your carriage every time yeah. you drive through the park, and I just stare at you while you're in the carriage. <laughs> it's
2: like, why? And then she, Lady deadlock basically says, "Oh, I know." <laughs> What a creep. Guppy is such a creep. But he also puts together that Esther's father is the dead law writer. Yes. yes. Nemo. Yeah. Yes. A.K.A. Captain
0: Hodden, mm-hmm. who we'll get to later, but apparently a lot of people are looking for Captain yeah. Hodden mm-hmm. for some reason. And uh, his
2: handwriting. And his, his handwriting. is very uh, in demand right now.
0: Apparently it's very distinctive. Uh, so, so that's what happens with Lady Deadlock. She's obviously going to be a huge part of the story because that's extremely dramatically important. Like, oh, mother who doesn't know. And she also apparently thought that her child had died. Yes, that's the thing, is that... So Lady
2: Deadlock's sister was Esther's godmother, who we met in the first chapter with Esther. Yeah. Who dies, I think, pretty much immediately. Yeah, yeah. But yes, apparently she told Lady Deadlock that Lady Deadlock knows she had a child. Like, of course you would know you had a child, but... Yeah. (laughs) So Lady Deadlock was aware she had a child, and then apparently... Esther's godmother, Lady Deadlock's sister, told Lady Deadlock that that child died in, like, the first day or something, Uh or the first month, which is crazy. I, I was assuming Lady Deadlock knew she had this child and just gave it up because she didn't want to deal with it.
0: Yeah, I think that makes her much more sympathetic, is that she actually had no idea and that changes her coolness towards esther like when she first met esther maybe she thought oh this this woman reminds me of what my daughter might have been if she'd lived but she's dead so i hate this woman for bringing up these memories Mm -hmm. and now she knows her daughter is alive which is which is going to definitely be part of her story going forward i think yeah um so there's a lot of melodrama about lady deadlock so i wanted to know what if this is like a reality show what reality show would it be like what does she do like what kind of reality show character would she be
2: Oh, that's interesting. I She's definitely terrifying to me. Uh-huh. Because in that whole chapter where Mr. Guppy is sort of revealing everything he knows, Lady Delac is written as just staring at him without making any emotions. And then also <laughs> just sort of, Dickens has these lines where she decides, like, If she wanted to, she could easily have Mr. Guppy killed right now,
0: (laughs) but chooses not to. That was really great. If this had been a different time, like, even less than a century ago, he's, she's rich and he's poor. She could have just had him killed in the night (laughs) and no one would have
2: cared. So I don't know what kind of reality show character that is, but. She's
0: that. Mob wives. Yeah,
2: okay. Mob, oh, mob you wives. You already had an
1: answer in mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know that when someone asks a question, it's because they want to answer it. You can also answer it.
1: I was going to say that she's more like the person on Survivor who <gasps> hangs back
0: a lot this and is just good. kind of
1: waits for the drama to unfold and then figures out the way to insert themselves into the drama as, like, Uh, derisively and decisively as possible about, like, okay, well, these are the weak points of these characters. This is the way that I'm going to, like, be able to come out on top.
0: Wait, I love that. That's really, really interesting. Like secret
2: manipulator?
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. But there's a lot of, like, hanging back and watching for people to make the first move. Because
2: there are a lot of people making moves right now and a lot of people trying to manipulate others. Right. So, yeah, that'd be Lady Deadlock is just, you know, going to pull on pull out the rug out of everybody
0: and she's mm-hmm. playing the game so and she's so integral to it that she knows she's becoming necessary to the arc of the story so if this were survivor can't really get rid of her right. so much yeah. you know you gotta you gotta you gotta keep her around absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> I do think uh her Sir Lester is her husband correct yes who's older than her
0: yes much mm-hmm. like substantially older uh, than Gowrin her. Gout. uh I think he's gonna die so. uh Very likely. I think a lot of people are going to die. Oh. High body. Maybe maybe we'll get to that. Yeah. (laughs) I think that if this were Survivor, like, so many of these people would not really make it that far. A lot of them would be like, I'm tired and get airlifted out. Uh Uh-huh. But some of them,
2: wow. No no. one would be great at Survivor, though? Who? Mr. Skimple.
0: Uh, I think that people would eventually do the thing when they're like, "You just manipulate everyone. You're right. just telling everyone what they want to hear. Are you even real?" Like that's what it would be.
1: And then there would be like the entire tribe would vote him off the yeah. island.
0: Yeah. Obviously, Mr. Bucket would be the best at Survivor. So I don't,
2: I don't get Mr. Bucket's deal. Let's discuss Mr.
0: Bucket. So I, the lawyers, like the whole legal team, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Talking Horn, uh, Mr. Guppy, and assorted legal professionals are investigating this handwriting thing. And a detective, like a real police detective, gets involved, Mr. Bucket. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Bucket is considered in the canon to be one of the very, very, very first literary detectives. Like, this is not a detective story, so he's not like Sherlock Holmes in that sense, but he is a character that is paid to detect, which before was not really a thing. Hmm. So...
2: Bleak House is that. considered
0: to be important for this reason, for many other reasons, but that's one. Uh, so Mr. Bucket is there, and even though he works for the police, he doesn't seem to be doing this as a police matter. He just seems to be like detecting things as a favor for Tulkinghorn.
2: Yeah, he also mentions offhand that he has a warrant for uh, a Section One fan favorite, Mr. Gridley.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Mr. Which... Gridley does return in this section, but disappointingly, to much so <laughs> yes. Um, So he's the detective, and he is, like, really good at blending into spaces and, like, acting, I guess.
2: Because he's... the first time we meet him, Mr. Sn- is it Mr. Snagsby is talking to Tolkien Horn? And yeah. he doesn't even realize Bucket is there for like 20 minutes?
0: <laughs> yeah, well he appears, you know, I noted he appears like a ghost. He's uh, in yeah. the room the entire time and then all of a sudden he becomes visible. So I think there's some ghost motifs going on with the ghost walk and Mr. Bucket mm-hmm. uh, doing some detecting. But So Tolkien Horn is like trying really hard to figure out whose handwriting this is. And he kind of gets on the track of it being Captain Hodden. So they look for this guy named Mr. George who is, like, a down-and-out former military man. He runs a shooting gallery now, and he owes some money to someone um, uh, to the Smallweed family. And the Smallweed family are a bunch of terrible people, like, cheap, miserable people who were all born old, as Dickens says. Like, they're <laughs> all, they all, like, act like extremely old people. Uh, and they, the, 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 the child Smallweed is friends with Mr. Guppy, and he wears a top hat and, like, follows Mr. Guppy around and acts like... And, like, drinks and smokes is this and flirts. Jobling is an adult. Okay. Little Smallweed is a child. Is his
2: name just Little Smallweed? I don't know they words. call
0: him Smallweed. I think he has a first name, but I don't remember what it is.
2: The smallest Smallweed.
0: Yeah. So, they, like, find... They need to find... So, we all know Captain Hawden H- H- is the thing. But, like, the Smallweeds? Uh-huh. We-, uh, uh, we need to talk about this entire section when they go to the Smallweed house and the the grandfather... Because the parents are dead. Mr. and Mr. Smallweed are dead. And there are two grandchildren, Judith and young Smallweed. (laughs) And and the grandparents, the grandmother is senile. And every time she hears a number, she just assumes it's about money and starts yelling. And the grandfather is just like this vitriolic, violent old man. And they leave a cushion next to him so he can throw it at her whenever he gets mad at her. Yeah, I miss
2: that part. Yeah, it's so and he, crazy. He, he constantly has to be propped up with a stick by Judy. Mm-hmm. She shakes
0: him back together, right.
2: and like his hat falls over his face, so he just looks like a pile of clothes. Because I, I do, I do want to mention. Uh, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about this later. Um, but the first description we get of Mister Smallweed is as a quote, a mere clothes bag with a black uh, skull cap on top of it. <laughs> and I just really love the, the description of someone being a mere clothes bag. Is just. It's a, real a good burn. burn.
0: Here's another thing I liked about Mr. Smallweed. Well, not like, because he's awful, but a uh, way that Dickens describes him is, everything that Mr. Smallweed's grandfather ever put away in his mind was a grub at first, and is a grub at last. In all his life, he has never bred a single butterfly. Wow. You just know that these people are just terrible. <laughs> uh, so so that, we are introduced to these characters for some reason, and Jobling. And Jobling is Guppy's friend who got fired for being in debt it seems like or embezzling or something anyway he got fired from the law firm and now he is he's got an assumed name and he's gonna go live in the old into in the room in Mr. Crook's rag and bone shop Oh right, try, the dead, yeah, uh, the dead yeah. guy's room. And he's like, it seems like his goal is to befriend Mr. Crook so that he can eventually steal all his money or like get left it in some way. And everyone seems to know that. Like the whole block is like, oh, that nice young man with a good mustache. He's totally trying to get Mr. Crook's <laughs> money. Everyone knows that. Does Mr. Crook have money? Everyone seems to think he does, which I don't understand. I think why. He has a lot of stuff. He just buys garbage constantly. Right, right, so right. he's just a hoarder. <laughs> I, it's very unclear to me why anyone would think he also had a ton of money, but that's what they think. Um, so that's like what the lawyers are up to. Guppy's still
2: being a stalker, Jobling mm-hmm. like trying to steal Mr. Crook's money. Um, one thing I, I thought was interesting is that about Mr. Bucket is that he's actually working with, so Mrs. Rachel, who was the maid oh, yes. from Esther's, when Esther was a child with her godmother, the maid was Mrs. Rachel. And now she is working with Mr. Bucket, but she is also married. She is now Mrs. Chad Chadband, band. Yes. Which is a whole other thing. She oh, is God. really into this preacher guy.
0: He is. She's married to the preacher guy. Mr.
2: Chadman is the preacher guy. Yes. Oh, and oh, Mrs. Snagsby is really into Mr. Chadman. Yes. Yeah, I'm getting very confused. <laughs> There's too many mister's and misses in this book, and I'm losing track of all of them. But I, I do think I'm curious to see how it's going to play that the Mrs. Rachel is now working with the detective.
0: So my question to you both is: Why does everyone care about this mystery so much? Like. So what is my
2: question. It's gotta be something with the court case, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe the Hoddens are involved in the court case. Like, why do they care about Captain Hodden? What could he possibly mean to anyone?
2: I do they my thinking was that they know Hodden is the father. Or they know Hodden and Lady Deadlock had a relationship. Uh huh. So they want to prove that Lady Deadlock had a Child? Just to be assholes? Like... Well, because who... Well, I guess Lady Delocks child would be an heir to the court case, right? But not if she's illegitimate. No? No.
0: Kids who are born out of marriage don't count, which I learned from Wilkie <laughs> Collins' novel No Name, which is about, uh, like, a rich family who has two daughters, and then the parents die suddenly, and they find out that their parents were never actually married, and so they immediately are illegitimate, and they lose their rights to their entire estate and fortune. Wow. And then it's actually a great revenge story. <laughs> it's not the best Wilkie Collins novel, but, and it does get really bogged down in morality, but it has like 200 pages of great revenge.
1: I thought that this played into the larger theme of we don't exactly know what the court case is completely about. Uh-huh. And it seems like that the author, through the narration of Esther, purposely kind of leaves that out because she doesn't really know exactly what's going on either. And so I think that. There's probably going to be some larger payoff towards the end of the book of where we figure out like, oh, this is why this case is so entangled is that it has so many parties involved and everybody wants something to get figured out. But we don't know, as the reader, quite what that is yet.
0: Oh, I hope that this is about unlocking the court case. Because right now, it just seems to me like the lawyers hate Lady Dedlock because she's an aloof, successful woman in what she's chosen to mm-hmm. do, which is to be a rich beauty. And they're like, oh, let's bring her down. Yeah. <laughs> like That's what it seems like to me. It seems that they have no cause other than to
2: ruin her life very clinton-esque yes, yes. <laughs> lock her up <laughs> that's essentially what it is yeah a bunch, of, a bunch of these lawyers are just chatting locker up outside lady deadlock's house pretty yeah. much um, pretty much but yeah i think it's honestly it does it's probably some sort of vendetta against the deadlocks and i think it's and it, it's just they want the, the deadlock's money maybe i don't know maybe but yeah i think i'm assuming that's gonna be answered in the second half because we don't really know why so many people care about this right yes
0: uh, so let's check in real quick with some secondary and tertiary characters Richard and Ada aren't really secondary but I don't care about them so that's what I've designated them yeah same uh, Richard and Ada Richard is in debt now because he's doesn't as we learn in the first episode he doesn't care he's a real
2: millennial yeah he yeah. doesn't
0: know anything about money I had written in my notes uh, Richard is a BuzzFeed mark by which I meant there's a line there's like a section where he's telling Esther about all this random stuff that he bought and it's like well I saw this coat and it looked cool so I bought it mm-hmm. and then there was this belt and I bought that so I feel like he would just go on BuzzFeed and you know how they have those articles that are like try to get through this post without buying one thing mm-hmm. like he would buy everything on the in the post because he'd be like oh well it looks nice and it's Prime Day so Right. That's what would happen. Yeah. He
1: would totally... He is essentially what clickbait is (laughs) made for.
2: Yeah. Uh, I really can't stand Richard. I don't like him either. We we talked about this briefly over the weekend, actually, um, where he reminds me of a Trump child because he's very... There's a section where he's very content... Well, first we should talk about how... So he didn't want to be... He first started trying to be a surgeon. Uh Didn't like that. Then he goes to be a lawyer
0: Delign Bails on it. that, too.
2: Yeah. Admits that he's content being a trust fund kid, and is just really <laughs> banking on his, the lawsuit playing out in their mm-hmm. favor. But then he also decides to join the army, because it's... Well, because he thinks it's short-term, because you don't right.
0: have to be in the army forever. Like, it's not your job, you're just in it, and then you can get... You can, like, peace out. Yeah, but... he
1: wants to collect another title. Yeah.
0: yeah, and then he also... Like, you get paid, but you also have to buy a commission to be in the army if mm-hmm. you're an upper class. Oh. So he... Do- well, Jarn just buys him the commission... And then he decides to join the army. He's also in crazy debt. And we know that he's taken out a loan from Smallweeds because Smallweed mentions him. And also that his friends paid it off. And he's going to keep lending money because he assumes the friends will continue to pay off the debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then he joins the army and, and Jarnus is like, hey, maybe you and Ada should not be engaged because you seem really irresponsible. Though he doesn't say you seem really irresponsible. He's just like, well, let's just cool it off for a minute. Why don't you go back to being regular cousins? Which is weird, but... <laughs> That happened. It had to be said. So what do you think are the chances of Richard and Ada's
2: relationship surviving? I mean, i if they both survive this book, they will <laughs> end up together.
1: Ye, I totally agree.
2: Ugh, you're right. It's so gross. It's but totally But I think gonna that, yeah,
1: in the short term, it's going to get, the wheels are going to fall off.
2: Yeah, they're it's going to get dicey. I do not no. like, well, I have no opinion of Ada, really, because she was very not present in this section, uh, but I hate Richard. Mm-hmm. I only, I wish Richard death.
0: <laughs> well, I thought he was gonna die, and now I think he's gonna die even more, but I think he's gonna die in, like, a Vanity Fair-style way, where he's in the army and he's fighting, and, like, he, he, like, keeps racking up these debts and all these things happen. I guess there's not, like, a war coming up in the time period of this book. There's not, like, the threat of Napoleon or whatever. Um, but... I feel like for some reason he's going to rack up his debt. He's going to like fall in everyone's good graces, and then he's going to do one heroic thing to redeem himself, and then someone's going to run him through with a saber, and he's going to die. Uh, I would hate
2: that. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think Dickens wants to torture him as long as
2: possible. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell who Dickens likes in this book. Yeah, Esther, I think. Yeah, he likes Esther. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And other than that, I don't know.
0: Um, I you know how I really defended Esther last episode because you guys think that she's kind of like having a pity party for herself all the Uh time. I started to get a little bit annoyed with Esther in this section of her constantly being like, Oh, I didn't realize how much everyone loved me when every time I go anywhere, all they do is say, everything's great because of you, Esther. It's sunshine and spring air. Every time you walk into a room, (laughs) I get she's very helpful, but all right, we get it. Everyone loves you. (laughs) Esther. It's now humble bragging instead of she didn't know to me. Instead of she's been been bullied for her entire childhood, so she actually can't believe people when they say that, to now I'm like, all right, all right, Esther. Now she's denying
2: (laughs) mountains of evidence where it's annoying.
0: Let's just check in real quick on some other tertiary characters. Uh, Caddy Jellybee gets married. Yay. I do. Oh, I like
2: Caddy. Caddy's probably my favorite character so far. Yeah. Because, Uh, yeah, well.
0: Her mom... Just doesn't care at all. Uh-huh. Which is sort of
2: amazing. <laughs> oh, her dad says it would be better if all his children were dead?
0: Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Better that they would all go be in heaven. Yeah. Um he also like decides to say it in a super racist way, which I could have written down. I wrote sad and racist for that specific part. <laughs> um, but uh that that's another aside that we're gonna take real quick, because we have a little time. Um, Dickens hates
2: marriage. Yeah, I think so. Yes. <laughs> Nobody's happily married in this book.
1: Or if they are happily married, then they realize that they were wrong. Yeah, yeah.
0: Who is happily married? No one, right? Like the small weeds. He describes them as two people like left standing, staring across from each other, abandoned by the black sergeant death.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> like uh, their
0: entire relationship is that they used to be it used to be full of domestic abuse, but now they're both too mm-hmm. old and frail to domestically abuse each other. So they just imagine it.
1: And that chapter is even called sharpshooters, which <laughs> I guess makes more sense of the idea that they're just taking pot shots at each other. Yes.
0: It's awful, and then the Snagsbees have no trust. Like Mr. Snagsby seems okay, Mrs. Snagsby just is sure that he has a son from a different marriage that she never told he never told her about, which is not true. And who
2: does she think the son is? Is it Joe? Go- oh, right, right, right. Do you it's Joe?
0: And then the Chadbands are just awful people. They might be happily married, but they're both horrible windbags. Yeah, he's with like no a shyster sense- priest, yeah. preacher or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. Nobody's happily married in this book. There's that one. T- very minor character we meet at Keddie's wedding, I think, who, like, hates, like, who, uh, like, vocally hates marriage, where she says women oh, yeah. have to kill her tyrant man or Miss something. Miss Whisk. Yeah.
0: I love her. I know Dickens is making fun of her, but she's right. She's,
2: she's, she's not wrong, yeah. <laughs> They're
0: like, oh, her cause is that women have to free themselves from the tyranny of man I roll. Like, no, but they do. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I I don't know. Oh, also, Keddie marries Prince... Uh, deportment I don't know Prince Turvy Drop Prince Drop Baron yeah. Yeah. Baron Trump Von Trump yeah. Yeah. Baron, Baron, Baron Trump, Trump. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And So we get a lot more Of Mr. Turvey Drop Yeah Who is Chief Deportment He's um, the worst But yeah I can't tell if Caddy and Prince's marriage Is going to work out
0: I mean, it seems like even if it works out for the next five years, there's another Dickens book in which they're super old and hate each other. So (laughs) it doesn't, you can't, you can't grow all together happily. Um, Who else do we need? Joe, let's check in with Joe, who's constantly being forced to move on by random cops who is rescued by Esther in the in the rain and the cold, and they bring him back to Hertfordshire, where they live. And then he, like, escapes in the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's weirdly scared of Esther, which is another yeah. reason that we know she's her mom's
2: twin. Right, because he thinks she's yeah. Lady Divock.
0: Yeah, the servant lady. Um, yeah, And,
2: oh, we should mention that Esther has a maid now, or a Charlie, who oh, we yes. met in the first yes. section, who's, like, a young... She's, like, a teenager? She's, like, 14?
0: I had a question about how old she was because it seems textually that she's very little because they yeah. keep calling her the little girl, and she she's one of the orphans who's orphaned when the, the bailiff, the debt collector guy, right. dies, and she's taking care of her younger brother and sister, Tom, who's four, and Emma, who's a baby, and she's not... I mean, they call her a little girl, and then she's, like, working for the small reeds, and they hate her. The small weeds hate her, and then Jarndis. Decides that she should be Ada's or uh, Esther's maid, mm-hmm. and Esther also teaches her how to like write, and also teaches her to like be in school at the same time. But I'm like, I don't know. Gerda seems to have unlimited money, and this girl seems really young.
2: Like, why would you not just send her to school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Also, I don't know what Tom and Emma are doing right now. They're in like a home of some okay. sort because and... it seems like Charlie just lives with at Bleak House right. Yeah, now.
0: yeah, she does. Um,
2: Yeah, so they take essentially they take care of Joe, but then Charlie gets sick.
0: Charlie and Esther both get sick, right? And apparently, no one knows how to get a doctor because they just like have a super contagious illness. They quarantine
2: themselves. Yeah, Uh
0: yeah, it's so weird. I was just like, why didn't anyone call a doctor for Charlie?
2: Like the, only, the only doctor anyone knows is Mr. Woodcourt, who is now in Southeast Asia.
0: Oh, wait, we need, that's another check-in. Mr. Woodcourt, who is definitely Esther's boyfriend, essentially. Yeah. Uh-huh. And how his mom, uninvited, <laughs> comes to stay with them for three weeks and spends the entire three weeks telling Esther that her son is a trifling flirt, but also, if he wasn't, he would never marry you, because you need to marry an old man and not my son.
2: I That was maybe my favorite <laughs> section of this entire, or favorite chapter of the entire section, because it's such a perfect like mother-in-law section. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, where, yeah, Esther, like she just hates uh, Mr. Woodcourt's mom. <laughs> yeah And she has to pretend that she doesn't. Right. She's like, oh, I wish she would just talk to me a little less,
0: but I'm sure she's nice. Mm-hmm. like She's just naive. She doesn't know. Which
1: I think more mounting evidence that Dickens just hates the convention of marriage. That you suddenly have <laughs> immediate family members that you never asked for and they didn't ask for. And just because you're involved in a domestic partnership with someone that they are allowed to just come and stay at your house.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. What if Dickens just hated his own in-laws that much? <laughs> I
2: believe it. All the, yeah, all these characters are too specific. They have to be based on real people. Wait, yeah.
0: also, here's a question that I have for you. So when Charlie becomes Esther's maid and Esther's so happy and she just cries, uh, Charlie says that um, Jarndyce gave her to Esther, and she's like, oh, that's because he wants to support you, Charlie, and Charlie's like, no, it's all for the love of you. Is Jarndyce gonna try to marry Esther? Like, personally? Yes, like, is he I into didn't her? I
2: did see that. Mr. Jardis? Is yes. you know, Mr. Jardis very old?
0: Yeah, so? Oh, is he the old? <laughs>
2: is he the old man that uh, Mrs. Miss, <laughs> Woodcourt Wood thinks Esther should marry? Yeah,
0: like, maybe I don't know, I feel like maybe that could be in play.
2: I don't think so, because I think Dickens likes Mr. Jardis. He is the one rich guy that yes not, has not been roasted so far
0: but there's also a convention of Victorian novels of like that paternal thing eventually turning romantic uh. and, like that somehow being the positive outcome for a woman who has no like direction in her love like it happens at the end of that Wilkie Collins <laughs> novel that I was talking about <laughs> spoiler alert
1: i am so (laughs) grossed out by now looking back at that and thinking that that's a possibility sorry i hope not sorry to ruin it yeah i I I really hope
0: Listen, all heterosexual relationships are creepy sorry absolutely (laughs) especially in victorian novels i'm just here to ruin everything for everyone you're all welcome Thank you. Oh, uh,
2: yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that doesn't happen, but maybe, I guess.
0: <sighs> All right. I right. I'm gonna, I have one more third tertiary character I want to check in on, and then I'll let you guys update. Should we
2: talk about Esther, what happens to Esther at the end of this section?
0: What? Yes, I guess.
2: She goes blind. Oh, right. she gets, yeah. is, that, is she really
0: blind, do we think? No, it's the illness.
2: Is she going to get her sight back?
0: I think so, yeah. I think okay. that was just, like, drama about this This is also one of those
1: things where in a Victorian novel where disease acts as like a plot device is that someone gets really fucked up by the smallpox or whatever (laughs) and then is like either unrecognizable or goes blind or like temporarily loses their memory (laughs) or something like that. These diseases that just kind of take over somebody's soul that I don't know. Like there's no way of predicting how it's going to go because you don't it's not really seemingly based on an actual disease unless it's like it's tertiary syphilis which i don't from. think is necessarily <laughs> what they're going oh, for oh yeah it's syphilis <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: uh so okay two characters i want to check in on one character phil is like the weird oh, hunchback yeah. who works at mr george's shooting gallery i i have nothing to say about him other than he seems really hilarious and then when horrifying and awful mr smallweed comes uh-huh. phil <laughs> is just pointing a rifle at him the entire time just yes. like great you're a great friend phil um i also want to talk about mr crook but before we before we do that do either of you have a character you want to check in on?
2: Uh, R.I.P. R- Gridley.
0: R.I.P. the angry friend. Very Yeah. He uh, dies
2: passed, in the shooting gallery. He kills himself?
0: It seems like he just dies. Like Okay. He's... I got
2: the vibe that he shot himself.
0: Well, he's sick in the shooting gallery. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
2: and also, I want to check in on Boythorn, because I'm disappointed. We, we spend six weeks at Boythorn's place, and we barely get any with boy We do get Skimpole, who does turn out to be a slavery apologist, uh, you know.
0: and I hate him, and I wrote in my notes that he's, like, basically a Trump, mm-hmm. because he just expects everyone in the world to support him, and he actually even says, like, oh, I'm sure it sucks to be a slave, but it's so picturesque that I don't care. Like, <laughs> oh, I hate him so much. Anyway, Ben, any characters you want to check in on?
1: Um... No. <laughs> we, all right. We covered, we we of covered most of them. Yeah.
0: Then let's talk about Mr. Crook, the rag and bone shop uh-huh. owner who might uh-huh. have a lot of money. The way that the section we read ends ends with this very dramatic and horrifying end of Mr. Crook.
2: Yeah, honestly, the scariest. Like we read *Turn of the Screw* and *Dracula* for October, uh-huh. and this is the most. This is the creepiest uh, chapter of all of these books so far.
0: Yeah, so they're in Mr. Crook's rag and bone shop in the apartment above because they're supposed to get some papers from him, which are part of the Captain Hodden thing. And, like, Guppy starts being like, oh, why is all this soot on my hands? Oh, it smells so gross. They think it's because someone's cooking pork chops. Old pork chops. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and then, like... He sticks his hand out the window, and he's like, what is this weird yellow oil substance? Oh, this building is so gross. You're like, oh, this is gross. And then they go downstairs to find Mr. Crook, and they open the door, and, like, it's smoldering, and it smells like cooking pork. What could it be? <laughs> uh, it's Chekhov's spontaneous combustion. <laughs> yeah. He fo- we found out who spontaneously combusted. It was Mr. Crook. How um, did it happen? He drank so much gin. I
2: was he must say, have to the been... gin
1: that apparently he was pretty well preserved in the beginning, and now just kind of caught fire.
2: Yeah, I've had nights like that with gin. Are you gross?
0: Cool, cool, cool. That's the. I just. I can't. I keep thinking about Guppy sticking his hand out the window and getting the yellow oil on it. Be like, that's fat. That's human body fat yeah, from yeah. a spontaneous
2: combustion. Like ashes. <laughs> And I was like thinking, like, oh, wow, those are really some potent pork chops.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and now I've it's been marinating for f- a long time. Human flesh.
0: Really just horrifying. I
1: just, do appreciate Dickens' obsession with, like, soot and dust and grease and smog in this <laughs> book. Just because it's like, oh, right. Even though the, this was written in a time when people were just living with this all the time, that people, or at least Dickens, seemed to recognize, oh, this is just detritus from human beings. Yeah. This is just, like, nasty, like, we're sitting in our own filth. Yeah. People live with this all the time. It gets into your lungs. It gets, like, yeah.
0: I think that's a great point, and also something that Dickens does in a lot of his work is try to highlight these horrifying living conditions for a lot of people in London. Totally. When he talks about where Joe lived and Tom's all alone, just, like, an abandoned building that has become a squatter's boarding house, sort yeah. of. And how horrifying and disgusting it is, and how no one ever cleans up after themselves, and everyone just like and everyone's dies smoking there. Smoking opium? Yeah. Or Every's, or something.
1: Whatever it was, that drug. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: so that's how our section ends with spontaneous combustion, mm-hmm. Great which way is done. incredible. A yeah.
1: literal yeah. uh
0: So can't wait to find out what happens next.
1: Love an act to <laughs> well, I guess not cliffhanger, but like, yeah.
0: Uh, cliffhanger actually does come from a Dickens novel. Really? Yeah, from the Pickwick Papers, when someone was literally hanging off of the edge ah. of a cliff. Oh. Yes. Dickens, forming literature all the time. Interesting. Uh, anyway, we would like to introduce a new segment this yeah. episode. It's only going to be for when we do Dickens novels, but I think it's pretty funny, which is uh, the Charles Dickens Burn book, or the power <laughs> rankings of Dickens Burns, which Ben will now debut. Yeah,
2: so this is the first Dickens book I have read, besides The Christmas Carol. And I guess the Christmas Carol, you know, Mr. Scrooge is kind of a burn on on rich people as himself. <laughs> uh but I was I'm astonished at how good Dickens is at just roasting people. Uh literally with spontaneous combustion, but also in his descriptions. <laughs> uh so I've I'm just keeping a r I've been keeping a running list of my favorite um d- like terrible descriptions and the, the meanest ways Dickens has described somebody. So I'm gonna take you through my top five so far. I would welcome contributions great uh so i have number five uh mr guppy who is i believe this is when he is um revealing himself to lady didlock and going through all his snooping and stalking and he is described as some shoemaker of intrusive appearance <laughs> which is just real uh real belittling um and uh number four is grandfather's smallweed, we mentioned this one earlier, is a, quote, mere clothes bag with a black skull cap on top of it. Great burn. Great burn. Good burn. Uh, number three, who, um, I don't, honestly, I can't remember who this describes. I think it might describe Phil, but he is described as the person who is one of those extraordinary specimens of human fungus that sprung up spontaneously in the western streets of London. <laughs> <laughs> just the extraordinary specimen of human fungus is i'm gonna describe everyone on the subway like that now. yeah that's either um, or
1: joe but
2: oh it might be joe yeah um yeah one but he likes, many... i think he
1: likes joe more than that yeah that he's a fungus yeah I mean, I, I he's a, think, he uh... be a fun guy but, yeah. <laughs> oh
2: boo boo you i think it speaks to this novel that there are many characters that fit that description uh-huh. so, um and then i also i i want to uh Another Mr. Smallweed, I, I guess just Dickens just hates Mr. Smallweed. He's horrible. Because my second one is, uh, you referenced this earlier, when Phil is just pointing a gun at Mr. Smallweed, uh, as if he is going to pick him off as an ugly old bird of the crow species. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great, great burn. Uh, but the favorite, I and mean, this is actually from the end of section one. We didn't, we, I don't think we mentioned it last time. And it describes our poor Joe, which it's, quote, Joe lives, that is to say, Joe has not yet died.
0: Is that really a burn, though? That feels
2: like a burn to me.
0: That seems like a sad commentary on Joe's existence, honestly. Wasn't
1: there something in section one, too, that was like that? That, or was, that, was, that was from so section oh, that one, was section. yeah. Okay, right, okay. Um,
2: yeah. It feels like a burn to me, and it's just like... It, you're right, it's real bleak and real sad, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just nails him.
0: Well, that was the Charles Dickens burn book. We will see if anything from section three can dethrone <laughs> that, those particular burns. Uh, So, now it is time. Four, the die of death. Woo! Yeah, I should get a... Like, I need, like, a ghost sound, I guess. <laughs> uh, all right, now everyone's here, so everyone can roll for themselves this time. Um, Other Ben, why yeah. don't you go first? You. you rolled a One which means you get to play. Wow, this got racist or sexist.
1: Oh man, can we do from anything?
0: <laughs> you can do preferably from the preferably section that from we read cuz that is the section we are talking man, about.
1: Man, there were a couple sections that I've highlighted throughout the book when it's the only time that Dickens dips into dialect and it seems um, to be with like really poor often like either Irish or Scottish working staff. I don't know if that totally counts as racist, or if that's just kind of like—it's
2: certainly offensive.
1: It's berating yeah. people for like how they, their like point of origin. <laughs> so let me try and see if I can find a section in which that that was really apparent, but also. I mean, you had the whole slavery apology. Yeah. Well, yes, there is all the slavery apologies. I guess the slavery apologies from Mister Puckett.
0: That that comes from Mister Skimpole. Or Mister Skimpole. Sorry. And it is also from a loathsome character. Yes. So I guess like we're supposed to take that as someone who is bad, like someone who is kind of terrible thinks mm-hmm. that. So.
2: Yeah, I don't know if there's any. Yeah, Dickens is not. I guess there's. I guess Dickens mocking the uh, proto-feminist is a little sexist. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I feel like, well, okay. So I this is this is a hot take about that. Uh-huh. Is that everyone's like, "Oh, Mrs. Jellyby is a terrible person because she spends all of her time on this charity and not her own family." Well, let me tell you what. Mrs. Jellyby is obviously having a passive rebellion against the patriarchy. She's like, "Do I want to be confined to domesticity?" No, screw that. Like she's not doing it in a great or graceful way. She's still not a great person, but to me what she's doing is definitely a rebellion against expectations put upon her by society totally but i do
1: agree dickens is seems to have some sort of uh like i don't know grudge against people that are fighting for social causes because they have enough time or money to do that being like oh we need better workers conditions like women should have the right to vote he seems to have a very like i don't know some sort of
2: cross to bear about yeah, he does not like He does not like philanthropy, it seems.
0: Yeah, it really seems. Well, I think yeah. his point of view is, like, should you be doing that if you are, like, shouldn't you be happy in your paradise of domesticity and, like, take care of your right. family first? Which maybe is reasonable. Like, don't be, don't present yourself to the world as a good charitable person when you actually don't care about the people in your life. Mm-hmm. That should mean something to you. Like, it is pretty terrible that Mrs. Jellybean doesn't care about her own daughter's wedding. Uh, or pee
2: or P. <laughs> but Oh, PP.
0: Oh, he bit he bit Prince Turvydrop He was uh-huh. so mad that he married his sister. <laughs> Love it. But I, I do think that there's just uh, there's like a bit of a stay in your place attitude yeah. about that. Yeah,
1: I think so. Yeah. And seemingly against the idea of organized social welfare.
0: Yes, which is weird because he is a big crusader against a lot of uh, like workhouse mindsets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his novels did in an Upton Sinclair way. Uh, lead to actual reform in British society, which is interesting. I, I do
2: think the uh, critique of philanthropy and charity is better through Mrs. Partigal, yes. than Mrs. Jellyby, and they're doing similar things. Um, at least, in, uh, I, I thought they were. Sort of the critique was similar, and it was more effective because you had, you know, the Partigal children punching their hats. I loved <laughs> that
0: scene so much. Uh, all right, Ben, your turn. Roll right. the die.
2: Let's do it. Three. Three. Would you rather? Yes, that is would you rather. All right, great.
0: If you happen to come up with any would you rather's other Ben as we do this, please uh-huh. set them free. But here's the first one. Ben, would you rather marry your cousin or Mr. Guppy?
2: Oh, wow. I, <laughs> I do not want to marry Mr. Guppy. He would stalk you. Uh, is it my first cousin?
0: Yeah, I well, Ada and Richard are, are maybe not first cousins. They never
2: met before.
0: Yeah.
1: they got together, right? But I think it's like everyone's kind of someone's cousin. Yeah, I yeah. think that the term is less literal than we have it as now.
0: But they are related to you, just to be clear. They do at some point share a point, a similar genetic point. Like they are related to you.
2: Oh man, I don't what level
0: that. of cousin would have to be okay? Ah, <laughs> uh, third. <laughs>
2: guppy's worth a third cousin Uh
0: you would marry a third cousin instead of mr guppy you would marry mr guppy instead of a second cousin yeah
2: yeah i think so. and
0: instead of a first cousin yeah all right all
2: right yeah i want to be happy about it though
0: (laughs) all right question number two would you rather die of an opium overdose or spontaneously combust
2: spontaneously combust really
1: oh yeah man I would Peter. rather just flip away into that dark velvet <laughs> underground and <than> just...
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to, uh A, I don't know, like, I don't even, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Fire, probably. Do you, like, is it spontaneous combustion, or like, for some reason, when I think of spontaneous combustion, I think of, like, it coming from inside of me? You're thinking of imploding. <laughs> or exploding. <laughs> so it's just, like, I just, like, my skin all of a sudden alights and I just melt to death? I...
0: Don't have any idea. Actually, we don't have a scientist. So I always thought that when
2: you inside your
1: fat just starts burning. We're gonna okay next oh, episode.
0: I'm gonna do ask a scientist yeah. for just that one question. Great.
2: Um, ask <laughs> yeah. a doctor. Spontaneous yeah. combustion. That's what I want.
0: I don't. Yeah, ask a doctor. I know more people who are sort of inside. Whatever. No one cares about that. Next question. Would you rather be born a jelly bee, a small
2: weed, or a turvy drop? Oh, uh, Jellybee, hands down. Oh, really? The, the kids seem like they're having a good time. Just falling down they're, the stairs constantly. Yeah. Perpetually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably have a great name, like, I don't know, Creepy? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Creepy Jellybee, what a great name. Uh, yeah, Jellybee. I mean, the small weeds are, you know, bags of bones and just yelling at each other. Turvy Drops, I would not stand a second with Mr. Turvy Drop. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: You would have to support him until he died.
2: Yeah, and my name would be, like, Regent or something. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Jelly reach magistrate. That's
0: pretty good. That's pretty good magistrate.
2: Totally. What about you? You want to be a small bee? No, Jelly Bee, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Oh, maybe Turvy Drop. Maybe Turvy Drop. Because at least then you would like you there. You would be. It'd just be you and the one dude. It wouldn't be like a thousand children in your tiny house. You could teach you a know.
2: pretty good dance class. You
0: also wouldn't have a parent who wished you were dead because it was because your life was would have been better off with a better parent.
2: I, I felt a little sympathetic to Mister Jelly. I get it.
0: Get some action in your life, Mr. Jellybee. Move out. Leave Mrs. Jellybee. Anyway, I'm going to roll for myself now. (laughs) Unless you have any would you rather questions to add. I don't, know. All right. Here it goes. My turn.
2: Oh, off the table.
0: Well, I'm going to roll again then. Well, I already went on my rant. I got one again, which I always get because the dinos, I like to talk about things that are racist or sexist.
2: Uh-huh. Dealer's choice. Which
0: Dealer's I, pre- well, I pretty much already did it. So I, I, don't want to. I don't want to cheat too much on this. Um, but I will say that it, it, it was kind of like, it, I, I am starting to find it a bit tiresome that it seems like the overwhelming theme for this book is that women should just take care of their families and shut up. And that's kind of, uh, like, a problem to me, which is that Lady Deadlock's flaw is going to be that she abandoned her kid, even though she didn't know that her kid existed. Mm -hmm. And somehow it's like, oh, if you had just, like, stayed with Captain Haunted and seen him through the tough times and none of this, then, like, you deserve to be disgraced. And I'm like, I know that's going to happen, and it's so annoying already.
2: (sighs) That's how I feel about that. (laughs) The patriarchy. Just the patriarchy. Sexism abounds. Anyway. Um, You don't want to pitch the grad the bad gritty reboot about mr crook coming back as a (laughs) ghost Rider. oh that would be
0: so awesome um i do want to predict who's gonna die because i think that a lot of people are gonna die Um, i think richard's gonna die i think Jarndyce is gonna die um i think at least one of the deadlocks is gonna die uh i kind of hope one of the lawyers dies also
1: oh interesting at least
0: one I hope Mr. Guppy dies but in a really stupid way like he just <laughs> walks into traffic by accident like, that's what I hope happens
2: creepy bites of death like, <laughs> creepy creepy bites creepy
0: I think Joe will probably die uh, oh you think so yeah I do interesting yeah I, I don't mean, he, yeah,
2: I don't know what. I have no read on what the
0: last there. time we saw Joe, he had an extremely contagious disease that got two people sick, and then he ran off into the night. So probably he'll start an epidemic, and yeah. then he's patient zero. He's patient zero. <laughs> yeah, that'll be that's... the
1: zombie gritty zombie yeah, reboot. Yeah, the second
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: it's the walking deadlock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, wow! That's, that's really good. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, that's where we left this one. That's where we're leaving this one. Very ridiculous. So fun, combustion, zombies... Mysteries, Bye. sexism. Uh, join us next episode when we read episode or chapters thirty-three through forty-nine. It'll be great, and we will see you then.
2: Bye. Get
0: involved!